This is Tani Talks Parsha, where we talk about the Parsha of the week with the practical lessons to keep, with some practical lessons to keep. We are here, finally, in Parsha's Vayachi, my favorite Parsha of the whole Torah. It is my Bar Mitzvah Parsha. I'm very connected to it. I love it very much. This year should be in the merit of the safe and healthy return of all the captives for their foolish slam of all the injured and sick, and for the safety, protection, success of all the soldiers and our brothers and sisters in Eretz Yisrael. So we have come to Parshas Vayechi, we've come to the end of Sefer Barashas, we're coming to the end of the real story part of the Torah, which I find much easier to connect to with all the Avos and then the major major characters and major figures that we see. And of course we come to the major blessing Parsha, the blessing, the Parsha that's full of blessings, Yaakov a blessing, Yosef's children, Menashe and Ephraim. The question becomes, first of all, why? Do we say the bracha for our children based on Menashe and Ephraim? Why not Rovin and Shimon? Why not Yisachar and Zavul and Dan and Naftali, God and Asher? Why is it Yosef and Benjamin? The answer given many times is, is different answers. One of them is that <laughs> they're like the first brothers that actually get along. We hear nothing about them fighting or disagreeing or having difficulties. Obviously, all the brothers were against Yosef. Yosef was pit against the brothers for many years until they technically reconciled. Yaakov and Esav had trouble. Yitzhak and Yishmael, there was trouble. There was trouble all along the line until finally they come to Menashe and Ephraim, which is one example. But the second example I like is that it's really the prototypical example of how brothers got along and somehow flourished even in secular society, non-Jewish society. And it's a very big feat. It's no small feat to be the only Jewish family, the only Jewish boys, the only Jewish kids in the entire society and to flourish. It's no small feat. I believe our school talks about it also. OU Tor also talks about it. How these are the people to live by, to, to learn by and to come by. Yaakov then goes on to bless each of his children, to talk about each of his children, how each shavit has a characteristic, but I'd go further to say how each person has their own unique characteristic, has their own unique ability to give and to contribute and to do. Everyone has their own characteristic, their own ability, their own uniqueness that they should contribute and they must contribute and must bring to the world. Every shavit had a mission. One shavit has olive oil, one shavit is strong like an ox, strong like a wolf. You know, Reuben is the first one. Shimon and Levi are very strong force together. Yehuda is going to be the king. And every single shavit has something else. And they come together and Yaakov blesses each one because each person is a blessing. Each person contributes blessing to the world. Each person can give something to the world to do something for the world and contribute something to the world. We must do what we can to contribute as well to the world each and every day. Make sure to contribute and to do what you can to bring your talents to the world. Two quick lessons from Vayechi. Vayechi also teaches us that Yaakov lived 17 years in spiritual bliss, the best years of his life. Years of prosperity, goodness, and peace. His other 130 years were filled with toil and pain, as the Medrash the Balaturim points out, as Chabad points out to us. When Rabbi Mendel Menachem Mendel, excuse me, Rabbi Menachem Mendel Lubavitch was a child attending Cheder. His teacher taught the verse, Yaakov lived for 17 years in the land of Egypt. According to the commentary of the Balaturim, that Yaakov lived the best years of his life in Egypt. When the child came home, he asked his grandfather, Rabbi Shner Zalman of Liadi, how can it be that our father Yaakov, the greatest of the patriarchs, lived the best of his life in pagan Egypt? Rabbi Shner Zalman replied, it is written that Yaakov sent Yehuda ahead of him to show the way to Goshen. The Medjish explains that this was to establish a house of learning where the sons of Yaakov would study Torah. When one studies Torah, 
one is brought close to Hashem so that even in Egypt one can live a true life from the Hayom Yom. But then in the very next verses we read how Yaakov entreats Yosef, carry me out of Egypt, make sure you promise me, swear to me that you'll take me out of Egypt. He makes Yosef swear to him, Yosef tells Paro because he swore, he has to take his father out and Paro says, only because he swore will I allow you to take him out. So great is his urgency that he's not content with an agreement or a promise in Yosef's part, but insists that his son take a solemn oath to fulfill his request. A Jew might find himself living a most ideal life in Gullah's exile, a life of material comfort and spiritual fulfillment, a life of Torah, mitzvahs and charitable works. Nevertheless, Gullah's can never be our true home. We constantly sense that this is not our place, constantly beseeching Hashem to carry us out of Egypt. Nor do we content ourselves with the guarantees and promises written in the holy books that this that the redemption will eventually come after praying for the redemption in the morning prayers. We do so again in the afternoon prayers and yet again in the evening prayers. We approach Hashem every day, many times a day, to plead and to clamor, take us out of Egypt. Interestingly, Yosef himself also tells his brothers, please carry me out of Egypt. Please take me out of Egypt. We don't see anything about the, the brothers being talking about that, but obviously... They also didn't want to live there and be buried there. But Yosef also entreats the Jewish people. And who else but Moshe himself, the greatest of all, takes care of this. And it's Mita connected Mita, by the way, because Yosef took care of Yaakov's remains, taking Yaakov out of Egypt, the greatest of all Jews, the greatest Navi to ever live, the greatest leader. Moshe Rabbeinu himself attended to Yosef's bones, took him out, very famous Medrashim, very famous examples of how he did so. He went to the river, couldn't find it, and then he had to like get Hashem involved in the the iron the iron ark basically that was carrying him coffin. The iron coffin had to be raised up to the top. Yosef was carried and brought with Moshe. Very fascinating, very interesting. But really that's the best type of kindness, by the way. A kindness done to the dead is a true kindness, for one does not expect a favor in return. Kindness to the dawn has no return, Rashi points out. This is a kindness that can never be repaid. Even those superficially tainted by selfish motives are in a sense true, doing good to others, the Bav Shabbat points out, because this is the way to do so. This is how to do so. So we think about Vayechi. We come to the end of this book, but it's not the end of the story. Obviously, we continue on to Moshe and the Jewish people, and we'll continue on. But in this partial, we see blessings so the brothers... Menashe and took care of each other, how Yosef <coughs> takes care of Yaakov, and eventually Moshe will take care of Yosef. It's a real pendulum, a real turning wheel, but we should think about these different things. Vayechi, and he lived. How do we live? How do we use our days? How do we make sure to infuse properness and wonderfulness into our days every single day with Torah, through Mitzvahs and Chesed, every single day in many different ways? Join us next time here on Tani Talks Parsha, where we talk about a Parsha of the week with some practical lessons to keep. And I'm your host, Tani.